So this morning, <clears throat> by the way, y'all sound good. So, not that they don't sound good when nobody's here, but it sounds good to just have people again um, sing together. It's just, it's awesome. So uh, this morning we're looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Uh, Mark 1, 21 through 28. It'll be on the screen. You can follow it if you've got it with you uh, before we read. Let's pray together. Uh, God, it is good uh, to be in this place. Uh, to, to gather together here in person and to gather together online and somehow, some way, uh, you make us one. You, Holy Spirit, are here with us, present. And so as we open your word, we, uh, we pray that you, would, that you would speak this morning, that your voice would be the one that we hear, that, that you would show us what we need to be shown, that you would reveal to us what needs to be revealed so that we, so that we can become new, so that we can continue to grow in all kinds of different ways, so that we can continue to be opened up. Uh, so in humility, we ask for that this morning as we listen to, as we listen to the Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark 1, starting in verse 21. If you'll remember from last week, um, we, we talked about Jesus coming on the scene, and he uh, was baptized by John in the Jordan, uh, and he quickly realizes that his calling, his mission, what he's here for, is bigger than himself. It's huge. And so he thinks to himself, uh, I need some people. I need a team around me, which, which makes sense, because that's sort of the way that God always works. Uh, from the beginning of this book to the very end, uh, God is consistently and constantly working through people. He's decided that that's the way he's going to make things happen in the world, is, is God's going to work through people. And so what does God do eventually? He becomes a person uh, because God works through people. And then when God in the flesh decides it's time, he decides, I need some people. And so he gathers the first four disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and this is the first thing they do, okay? They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Like there was just something about him that they couldn't quite explain, but it was there. This wasn't normal like the teachers of the law. This was something different. Then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to 
evil spirits and they obey him. And then news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Just like that. So, good. Um, so, one of the things I think that is important for us, I, I want to talk just a, just a minute about how we approach Scripture, about how we read it, about what we do with the things that we find in there, the stories. I think it's important for us uh, when we enter into a story like this is to, is to use our often underutilized imagination. Like oftentimes we, we approach Scripture and we want it to be black and white. We want it to, uh, we want it to say exactly what, what we need to hear. We want it to, we want it to be absolutely clear uh, but I think sometimes it's important for us, especially when it's a narrative, to enter into the story and use our imaginations. It's almost like you're watching a movie, right, or a TV show, or you're, you're sitting on your, on your couch and you're, you're chilling watching Netflix. I think it's important for us to, to almost enter into the biblical story sort of like that. When you think about it, one of the reasons why movies and TV shows and things that we watch on the screen are really compelling for us is that we enter into them. Like, we identify with the people on the screen. Like, how many of us, when we're sitting there watching a TV show, how many of us will just laugh out loud as if we're like in the room there? How many of us, will, how many of us have cried watching a show? Or how many of us have actually talked to the screen when you're watching it? Like, no, don't go into the basement. That's where the serial killers go to hide. What are you thinking? And we'll talk to the screen, right? And we, because we're identifying with these people. It's a fun experience. So this morning, we're just going to sort of do that. We're going to enter into this story, and we're going to just try our best to identify with the people in the story. And as I look at this story, I see sort of three, one group of people and then there's two individuals that Mark sort of singles out for us. So let's use our imagination. Let's see if we can identify with the people in the story. But first, we're going to start with the crowd, the people. They're gathered together for worship in the synagogue in a place that's really, when you think about it, is not unlike what we're experiencing now. Okay, so before we go any further, just a little bit of background. Like, if you'll remember, Jesus had just called these first four disciples, these fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. And the first thing they do is they go to Capernaum. Now, archaeologists tell us that home base for these four fishermen was probably Capernaum. So Simon, Andrew, James, and John, when they walk into this synagogue, it's a place that's familiar to them. They're likely walking into a synagogue that they've been into before. It's kind of like this place for a lot of us. We've been here before. It's familiar. It's home turf. Probably this isn't the first time that Jesus has taught in this particular synagogue. So he's familiar with people who are in the place. This, even though Capernaum wasn't home for Jesus, he wasn't from there. He felt at home there. You know, scholars think that Capernaum was sort of Jesus's home base for operations. Okay, so let's move on. Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus taught. We have no idea what he said. We don't know what part of the scroll of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, he opened up out of which to speak and teach. All we know 
or how the people reacted when he began to teach. Mark tells us that the people were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. Like there was just something about him that just drew them in. Like there was something different, not as the teachers of the law, but this, oh, this, this was something different. The people were amazed. Now, I think that most of us have been in this place. We know what that feels like, right? Again, this is a worship setting. Most of us have been in here before. Or at least we've been in a place like it. Even if we're worshiping online, we've experienced this before. We're sort of at home base right now. And we've had an experience of amazement. We've had it at different times. We've had it when we get lost in a song of praise. We've had this feeling of being overcome or overwhelmed when we're traveling through a time of prayer or when the Spirit sort of sort of reveals something to us while we're deep in thought, right? We learn something about God that's different, that changes us. We think to ourselves, oh my goodness, never thought about that before. We learn something about our own selves that sort of brings us to our knees. Or we learn something about the kingdom of God. We learn something about about the way that God is working in the world or the way that the world is actually working and it just completely blows us away. It doesn't happen every time we're here. Let's just be honest about that. It doesn't happen every time, but there are those times when we're overcome, we're taken aback. Like we get goosebumps because we feel and experience the presence. The hair on the back of our neck stands up on end. We experience the divine. It's it's worship, right? It's one of the reasons why we come back. It's one of the reasons why we do this week after week after week. We even experience it virtually, online, when we're sitting in our PJs on our couch drinking coffee. We experience somehow, some way, we get a taste of heaven. We get a glimpse of who God is and who God is calling us to be. We get a, we get a picture of what God wants the world to look like. We experience the presence. We recognize the authority and we worship. We're amazed. And then all of a sudden, this guy stands up. In the middle of that feeling, and he starts screaming at Jesus. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. That happens, and we all think to ourselves, us? What do you mean, us? Like, there's only one of you here. What do you, us? We start thinking to ourselves, okay, clearly there's there's something different happening. Like, there's something... There's something odd going on here. He's rude. He's disruptive. He's loud. He's obnoxious. Almost like there's something inside of him that just doesn't belong there. Now, here's the deal. We're living in the 21st century. We're really smart people. This is ancient stuff, right? This is ancient stuff. And so we don't really know what to do with a story like this. It's not like we're like, 
Yeah, we got evil possession. We got evil possession happening right here. That person's possessed by a demon. So we, we don't know exactly what to do with stories like this. Right? But it's in here, so let's talk about it. Let's just try to be as honest as we can. Let's use our imaginations and try our best to identify this guy now, with this guy now. When we normally start thinking about these things, our, our thoughts go to horror movies and poltergeists and, and ghosts and you know, the walking dead and, and whatever. That's where our minds, that's where our minds go, right? Or we think that maybe, maybe this was just like a, a first century way of, of talking about mental illness. Could be, right? I think, I think the best way for us to approach a story like this is to do so like really loosely, right? Is to just sort of think about it like this. There's something inside that doesn't belong there. Something else inside that this, there's something underneath the surface that we're just not seeing, that we're not privy to, that we haven't been exposed to, that we don't know what it is or how it got there or when it got there, but there's something in there that just doesn't belong. And if we start thinking about it like that, we sort of see this kind of thing all the time. We do. We experience it. We see people acting in some really strange ways, often in our lives. Someone cuts us off in traffic and they're really angry and they give us the finger. We don't have any idea why. We're like, what is wrong with that person? Like, clearly there's something wrong with that person. What in the world? Or we see somebody being over-the-top rude in, to the cashier at like Hy-Vee or Aldi or Target or Walmart. And I don't know why I always bring up Hy-Vee and Aldi and Target at Walmart. Probably because we all go there at least once or twice a week. But somebody's just acting nuts, and we're like, something is wrong with that person. What is causing them to do this? Or we watch on TV, and we watch sometimes this happens to a whole group of people, a whole crowd. And we see a whole crowd of people gathered on the steps of the Capitol, and they're shouting, and they're chanting, and they break into the place. And we all think to ourselves, what has gotten into these people? There is something else there. There is something else in their midst happening that's causing this to happen. What is going on? And so we look at people and we roll our eyes at them and we want to shut them out. We want them taken away. We want to kick them out. We want to put them into an institution where they can't do anything to bother us or harm us. So we know what it's like for the people. When this guy stands up and says, if you come to destroy us, we know how the people reacted. Mark doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us their reaction because Mark doesn't want to waste words because he knows we already know what the people in the crowd are actually feeling. We know where their anxiety is. We know what they want to do with this person. But Mark doesn't tell us. Besides, Jesus doesn't even give people the time to respond anyway, which I think is such an amazing thing about this story. So let's do our best. Let's use our imaginations. Let's try to identify Let's identify with Jesus. In that moment, let's use our imaginations and put ourselves there. Right? Notice how Jesus, notice how Jesus deals with the person. Right? He doesn't ignore him. Right? 
He doesn't let him impact. He doesn't let him impact him. He doesn't kick him out. He doesn't try to doesn't let the guy control his his agenda. He doesn't call the bouncers who are packing heat to grab the guy and pull him out the front door. He doesn't do anything like that. No. He simply notices the hurt. He notices the hurt and he speaks the truth. Jesus knows this guy's hurting. Jesus knows there's something more going on there than meets the eye. Jesus knows there's something going on that's underneath the surface. There's always something underneath the surface. This guy's possessed by something. There's something there. So Jesus speaks the truth and gives the guy freedom. Be quiet. Come out of him. And Mark says that whatever it was that possessed this guy, finally it's brought out of the darkness and into the light. And it left. Maybe that's part of what this story is. Maybe that's part of what this story is about. Real, really, I want to use the word ministry, but I think it's deeper than that. Like real ministry or real just basic human-to-human compassionate interaction. I should say that. To people who are hurting like that, it doesn't mean shutting them out. It doesn't mean bending or being shaped to their agenda. Real, compassionate, human-to-human interaction to people who are hurting is to notice the hurt and speak the truth that comes from beyond us. Real, basic, human-to-human interaction is being confident in the truth and love and power that we experience in this place, being confident in that when we come here week after week after week. So what does Jesus do? He, he immediately just offers compassion. He offers love, healing, freedom to this guy living in bondage. It's, this is the first miracle. Think about this. This is the first extraordinary thing that Jesus does in the book of Mark. This is it. Maybe Mark is trying to tell us something about that. Maybe Mark is trying to signal something to us. Maybe he's trying to signal that that love and compassion and healing and freedom, those are the things that mark the life. Those are the things that will frame this. As you start reading about Jesus in the book of Mark, these are the things that will define his life moving forward. Watch them take root and be displayed throughout the rest of the book. Maybe he's trying to signal to us that for us, if we want to follow this one we call Jesus the Christ, maybe those are the things. Love, compassion, healing, freedom. Maybe those are the things that ought to mark our lives too because maybe those are the things that bring about real change and transformation in the world. So back in, back in April of, of uh, 2007, I, this was 13, four, almost 14 years ago, 
I was sitting back at my desk alone in the church at my previous church, and I was watching uh, online coverage. We could still do that back then in 2007. We could still watch online news coverage. It's been that long since we've been able to do that. I was watching online news coverage of the Virginia Tech shooting. How many of us remember the Virginia Tech shooting? Oh my goodness. So I'm online just watching this because it's this major world event that's happening. You know, right, I'm just sitting there. I'm all alone in the building. And as I'm watching this, my anxiety level is already through the roof because I'm like, oh my goodness, it's happening again. When all of a sudden I hear this bang, 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 super loud banging at the front door. Remember, I'm all alone. I'm like, what is happening here? I peek my head out the door and I see this guy banging on the doors, trying to get in, not realizing if you go all the way to the right, doors wide open, you can just walk in. So I walk out there. My anxiety level just shoots way through the roof now. And I point to the door that's open and I ask him to come in. And here's a guy who's about my height. He's probably 40 pounds heavier than me. And he's all muscle. He's dressed in a gray shirt, khaki shorts, work boots. He's covered from head to toe in dirt and soil and grime. He's got a bald shaved head. He's got a goatee down to here. He looks rough. He walks in and I can tell that he's nervous. He's all shaking and he starts to talk and I can't hear a word or understand a word that he's saying. And I start thinking to myself, dude needs a fix and I'm in danger. And I start formulating a plot for how am I going to get myself out of the building safely. So he's stammering along. I ask him a little more and he finally gets out. Bruce told me to come talk to you. And I was like, okay. All right, I know Bruce. So I start breathing a little bit easier. He starts calming down after I tell him, I know Bruce. Then he starts telling me about how he's been driving past this church for a whole year, trying to decide whether or not he was going to go in. And today's finally the day he decided to walk in the place. And he's nervous the whole time. He's shaking the whole time. I ask him about his life. He starts telling me this story, and it's heartbreaking. He's struggling. He's dealing with things that are really, really, really hard. So then I invite him to come to church. And by some miracle, he shows up. And he keeps showing up. Week after week after week, after week, into the gathered community of God. And over the course of the next year or so, we see a complete, what seems to us like a complete transformation. But really, in reality, this guy just kept becoming more authentically himself. Week after week after week. He went from a guy that I described to you two minutes ago to the most loving, compassionate, smiling guy in the place who wasn't a greeter, but he was the man. If someone new walked into the church, he found that person. He welcomed them. 
He'd made them feel comfortable. He was the most hospitable presence that we had in that place. All because the gathered people of God decided to act like Jesus. Welcomed him with open arms, with compassion, with love, with non-judgmental presence. Oh my goodness, and that man was transformed because of it. Because the people of God decided to let that define who they are and how they operated in the world. Oh. Okay. Crowd. Jesus. What about the other guy? Like, do we want to go there? So... So do we want to use our imaginations and go there? What about, what about the crazy person? Can we, identify, can we identify with that guy? I mean, what if he's you? What if he's me? What if I'm that guy? What if we together? What if we're that guy? What if there's something inside of us that just doesn't belong there? What if there's the thing behind the thing? What if, there's, what if there's something underneath the surface living in darkness? What if there's something there? What if there's something that needs to be named? What if there's something that needs to be called out? What if we've got an enemy within? I think if we're honest, we're already there. Like, if we are honest, we'll all nod our heads and go, yeah, that's me too. I mean, we all get a little crazy once in a while. We do. We all get possessed from time to time. We get possessed by a spirit of jealousy, by a spirit of of anger, of self-righteousness, of entitlement, of resentment, of mediocrity, of lust, of laziness. Oh my goodness, that goes on and on and on and on. I mean, you and me, probably all of us together, we... We're that guy. We're that guy. Now I'm here to tell you, it's okay. I think we know it, too. It's, it's one of the reasons why I think we keep coming back here. Because we know that somehow, some way, through the, through the gathered community of God, through the songs that we sing, week after week after week, through the people with whom we rub shoulders, week after week after week, through the prayers that we pray, week after week after week, through, the, through this book, we encounter the presence. We encounter the one who has authority. It's like a magnet, and it keeps us coming back. It draws us in. 
See, I think that's primarily what this story is about. It's about the, pro- it's about the power and the authority of Jesus. Of the divine presence right here in the middle of us all. Because when we come here, when we really pay attention, we hear the voice of Jesus. And we hear the voice of Jesus saying, I think, things like this. Hey, I see who you are. I know what's inside of you. And I love you. It's okay. And you, oh, you are good enough. You are good enough because you belong to me, Jesus says. So whatever it is that's inside of you that's causing that jealousy to to well up and come out in ways you don't want, whatever it is inside of you that's, that's causing your anger to flip on like a switch and it controls you and you have no handle on it, whatever it is that's inside of you that's telling you that you are not worth much at all, whatever it is inside of you, that's telling you that it's your fault he hits you. Whatever it is inside of you that's telling you that it's okay to beat them or scream at them, whatever it is that's inside of you that's telling you that it's not a big deal to kick the cat, whatever it is, just be quiet and come out. Let's let's get it into the light. Let's bring it out from the darkness and into the light so that we can see it and talk about it. It's the only way for peace and healing to happen. You are loved. You are good enough. Let's get it out of the darkness and into the light so that we can talk about it so that we can talk about it with with the people we trust the most, with the people who are closest to us. Let's be vulnerable and get it out into the light so that we can talk about it with a therapist who can help us see it for what it is and give us ideas and steps and help to Give us the inner strength to move through it so that we become more authentically who God made us to be. You are loved. You are good enough. It's okay. Things can get better. You can experience peace. Mm, So, We entered into the story, right? We walked in. It was like a, like a room into which we walked, and we noticed things. There's different people here. Let's identify. We identify with the crowd. We're like, we've been there. We know what it's like to experience the authority, the presence. We know what it's like to experience crazy in the world and be like, these people are messed up. Get them out of there. We know what it's like now to experience Jesus and to identify with him and to to witness what it might look like when a whole gathered community of God decides that its life together would be defined 
by things that love and compa- like love and compassion and healing and freedom and honesty and truth and and we identified with with that guy we don't necessarily want to go there but we all know that oh my goodness so we've been there we know and hopefully by some miracle of the holy spirit something's different now even if it's just a little bit if we're just a little bit changed hopefully we're all a little bit less crazy and we experience some freedom what's next for you well that's up to you and spirit maybe some people if you want to talk to them they'll help you let's pray